Sometimes change can feel scary, but it can also be exhilarating. A time to stretch our boundaries, embrace opportunity, and start something new. Welcome to the Baby Brunch Parenting Series, made just for you by BrightRock, the provider of the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. This is a Baby Brunch Podcast. This is a Baby Brunch podcast for our parenting series, and I'm delighted. I've got Meg Fora in our studio. Hello. Hello. It's great to have you here. Uh, before we get started, Meg, you're a mom of three. Yeah. I love how you say that there's a lot, Lamiki. How old's your youngest? <laughs> um, she was actually born seven years after the, uh, after the next one, so she's 12 now. You know, a lot of our moms who are our heroes, and you're one of them, are online and you write books and you do all these amazing things that help us get through motherhood. But it's not always that we get to hear your story. And I'm interested in that because the reason I find you credible is because you're a mother yourself. I want to know what was, what was motherhood like for you when you had your first baby? What did you think you know or where did it get really tricky? Gee, it was tricky from the start. And I don't know any new mom who could honestly say that their journey wasn't tricky because that jump from being a mom into being, to, from being a woman into being a mom is, for me, was frightening. So I had very, very high levels of anxiety with James. Like I felt like, how can they let me go from the hospital? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to have this mm. child survive, you know? And so, I, yeah, so I found that really hard. I found the sleep deprivation was very difficult. So I guess, on a, yeah, I think the sleep and on an emotional level, motherhood for me was really hard the first time around, mm. like most mums. But we do it again and Absolutely. again. Absolutely, <laughs> third time. <laughs> Absolutely, and I was desperate for that number three and mm. had to nag my husband for her. And of course, she's been such a blessing. So yeah, we do go on and on. We know you as the one person that uh, creates oh, just such amazing stuff for us. If it's not baby sense, it's preggy sense, it's weaning sense. Uh, how much more sensible can we become? What else is in the pipeline? Yeah, so I mean, there's always a book on the in the pipeline. So I mean, I'm actually busy writing allergy sense at the allergy moment, allergy sense, mm-hmm, which is going to be along the same lines as weaning sense. Is it's going to be looking at wean at allergy recipes, and also just debunking all the myths around allergies because I think there's a lot of nonsense out there, and that's what I've always tried to do is take what's sensible and what's scientific, and then just make it make sense for mums. I like um, that. Mm. So can I eat peanuts if I'm pregnant? Can you? You should. As long as you're not allergic to them yourself, all mums should be eating peanuts in pregnancy. So you know what's interesting? And I know all the talk around that. I've eaten peanuts with both my babies. Mm -hmm. Not that I adore peanuts. I mean, I hardly have it until I'm pregnant, right? And both of them love it. Yeah. It's very important. The things you eat in pregnancy, first of all, code your child's um, appetite for later on. So, you know, babies who have very spicy curries, their moms eat very spicy curries in That's pregnancy. my children. Yep, they will tend to be not fussy and like curries. But also on an allergy level, we know that the exposure in utero can actually prevent allergies later. Uh-huh. So if a mom eats peanuts in, in pregnancy, her children are less likely to be allergic to um, peanuts. What so, about cheese? Because, I mean, this wasn't even a question for now, but I've got, I've got Meg with me. I'm going to ask a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> My kids love cheese and I eat cheese yeah. like it's going out of fashion. Yeah. So we code our children for what they're going to eat, which is brilliant. And that's why, you know, eating a wide variety of flavors when you're pregnant and mm. also while you're breastfeeding, because remember flavors come right. through breast milk, is very, very important. Speaking of all the projects and the things that you are working on for us, because mm-hmm. that's what makes your job rewarding. It's all about us. Um, baby sense and pregnancy sense and, and, and your writing, which are totally sensible. Why did you decide that you want to do something for other women? 
I think because my first journey was hard, um, I found that there wasn't there was too much information and not enough sensible information um, with my firstborn. And then when my second one came along, that was actually when I wrote the book. When she was about nine months old, I started writing it, um, and that was Baby Sense. And it was really just to take what I had learned. I'm an occupational therapist, so I did, was to take what I'd learned as an OT and apply it to my daughter, and then give it to other mums. Mm-hmm. And Yes, I mean, I suppose when people ask me what I do, my biggest um, passion is actually communication of information. Mm. So whether it is on a podcast or in a book or at a live talk, really communicating information that's sensible and trying to debunk all the nonsense that's out there is really where my passion lies. And you do that so well. And and thank you for that. The minute you said routine, I almost packed up and ran away. (laughs) Because it's the one word, I guess, that scares me. You know, it makes me immediately think, ah, I didn't read up enough about it, where to start. And, you know, having told people that you are one of the people on our podcast and that we have access to you, we also had a lot of questions that came in. So, I mean, I'd like to go through them. But before we even touch on that, how important is a routine? Yeah, so routines are—they are important for different women. Have a different degree of needing a routine. So, for some people, if you're a type or if you've come from a background of being very organised, then a routine becomes very important for you, mm-hmm. and you can feel quite anxious if you have no idea what's coming up in the day or how to guide your baby. For another kind of earth mother, she might not be wanting a routine. She might just be wanting to go with the flow. She's I love how had- you say earth mother. <laughs> Yeah, so so it's very different for different people. But I do think that babies thrive best with routines because it creates predictability in their days. So if we're feeding them not on a rigid routine, but on a guided routine, they're less likely to have um, blood sugar kind of dips, which means that they're less likely to be cranky. But particularly sleep routines are very important because little ones need a lot of sleep. And we know that sleep begets sleep. So if they sleep well in the day, they'll sleep better at night. So day sleep routines are also very important. Meg, while I have you here, and while I have read my sleep sense, I have met maybe one mother, just one, in the millions that I know. Okay, I don't know millions, but I know a lot. <laughs> that is getting the sleeping thing. What are we doing wrong? Yeah, well, what are we doing wrong? I mean, I definitely think we do too much for our children. So the development of sleep regulation, a baby actually being able to sleep on their, put themselves to sleep, is part of the normal trajectory of developmental milestones. So if I said to you, your baby isn't walking at a year, two years, three then years. Then I would go and try treat. and make her walk. Yeah, <laughs> and you'd be going, there's something wrong with her. Why is she not doing yeah. that? Um, but we don't have the same priority for sleep. Mm. And the reality is that sleep is also a milestone. And little ones can learn to put themselves to sleep. But as mothers, we tend to do it all for them. And so we rock them to sleep. We feed them to sleep. If they just so much as a tiny squawk in the middle of the night, if they are kind of 12 weeks old, we go in and feed them. We don't give them any opportunity to learn to sleep on their own. And we're also not very good at guiding them towards sleeping on their own. So um, I think that's probably the number one thing we do wrong. But the other thing is, in all fairness to us as moms, is that sleep is so complicated because it's got so many facets. How's the diet? How's the health? How's the emotions? And you, all of those things together really do have a bearing on whether or not a little one will sleep. What's your take I mean, you're a mother on sleep training and getting this woman in with a black book, high heels in the corridor that says, out with you, mother. And she is going to come and train your child in three days how to sleep. I mean, I've sent out two women where I just thought, okay, my house, I can't have you here. (laughs) I'm not coping. I'm not coping with you in my space, telling my child what to do. No, listen, you, but you actually have articulated it. You know that that didn't work. Um, it makes me feel nauseous, the thought of a foreign person, a different person. Did coming you all in hear that? To, 
it makes make no <laughs> no it doesn't you know what mums you you to get somebody else in to come and deal with something that's so emotionally charged so now you're handing over your baby's emotions to somebody who doesn't know your baby's personality who doesn't understand their signals i do, i have an issue with that so i don't believe in sleep training um why does it work then when they leave because they're so scared it's yeah it's called ex- extinguishing a behavior I, yeah it's horrible i i, I don't think it's a, the way to go having said that i do know that there are moms who are suffering from postnatal depression and other problems mm. because they are so tired and so i do think that there's a place for teaching babies to sleep it's just that i don't think that it should be an external person brought in to do it for you i right. think it's a relationship based it's the same as teaching your grade 1 child to read you do it with them by reading in the afternoons mm. with them you know you read books to them at night um it's the same as table manners you model it so it really is those it's one of those things that mothers have to do themselves and fathers have to do themselves in my mind sure i love this conversation i'm so happy you are here is it too late to teach a child how to sleep if they are older than the newborn or no. older yeah. other than threatening them i will take away your milk if you don't fall asleep and they are let's take my own children my 3 year old knows that she doesn't drink milk at night but sometimes at 4am she comes to wake me up because her younger sister drinks milk and so mm. i want i want annie's milk yeah you know what what do we do so it's never too late to teach a child to good sleep, healthy sleep habits um Interestingly, the milk at night one is quite an interesting one because often little ones try and prolong it for as long as possible. But in reality, as long as they're on full nutrition in the day, they don't actually need milk nutritionally at night. So very often the milk at night is more for comfort. So you would try and tick the box on a comfort level rather and make sure, first of all, that they're comfortable. Second of all, that they've got a doo-doo blankie. Um, thirdly, like for a, for an older one, like three years old, maybe nightmares or at four o'clock in the morning waking often is because they're getting chilly because it's that time of day when our biorhythms change and we get cold. So try and tick all of those boxes. But milk at night should be discouraged from a year of age. And the reason is actually a health reason. Um, it can cause ear infections, tooth cavities and obesity. And and it disrupts daytime um, feeding, you know, kind of habits. Having said that, four o'clock in the morning is one of those things I've always said to moms, because as being a mom of three myself, I know four o'clock in the morning is a very hard time to do any sleep training or guidance. And so I actually would be breaking rules as well then. So yeah. I would be giving her the milk at four in the morning um, because she's still little, um, but avoiding it throughout the rest of the night for sure. I, it's funny how when you mentioned the things that that milk at night could cause, out of all of that, ear infection is the one that scares me the most because mm. it's painful. Mm. Like eating food doesn't maybe pain. I guess it's <laughs> it's not as healthy. But but out of all of that, I'm thinking. But I don't want my daughters to have earache. You know, yeah. I've seen I've seen the one with an ear infection, and it's horrible. horrible. It really is. It it just hurts them so much. Okay, I want to get to the questions. Are you ready for this? Yes. These came in from from people listening to our our brunch and our baby brunch podcasts, feeding for the first time, and they are they're not sure about gagging mm. or when when it's enough. So uh, what what should the baby look like when they're eating for the first time? Yeah. When are they actually eating and when are they, when is it dangerous? When are they choking? So, yeah. So when you're talking about eating here, you're talking about solid foods. Yes. And um, yeah, so most babies have a gag reflex that disappears, um, certainly by the time they're starting to eat. So by kind of four or five months, babies' gag reflexes have disappeared. But having said that, all of us can have a gag reflex elicited like with a very strong smell or when something tickles the back of our palate in just the wrong way. Um, but gagging isn't choking. And that's what I always say to moms. Don't worry if they're gagging because it's just a, it's a reflex. 
it's not a choke. Choking is different. Choking is dangerous. You can aspirate with choking. That you want to avoid. But a little gag, you know, with a new texture that's going into their mouth, I wouldn't worry about it too much. In fact, I'd pretty much ignore it. Um, In terms of the choking, which this mom also alludes to, um, as soon as your baby starts eating whole foods and handling them themselves and putting it into their mouth, you do need to make sure that that food is A, quite soft, also, that is, so definitely not things like peanuts or apple. Those are two big choking risks. Um, so if you're going to use nuts, they must be ground, ground nuts, not whole nuts. Um, and then all your veggies can actually be steamed really well. And then what will happen is that they will take those veggies. So from seven months onwards, they'll pick it up, put it in their mouth. They may gag for the first time because it's something new at the back of their palate, but they won't choke on it. Oh, interesting, interesting. Um, weaning the word, what does it actually mean? Yeah, so weaning, I mean, it was, it's very interesting. Weaning actually means to take off milk. And um, But when we came to writing weaning sense, we wanted to call it weaning sense because it's a very South African way of talking about weaning. Yeah. But we're not talking about taking your baby off milk. We're actually just talking about weaning onto solids. Right. So that's, that's how we reference it. Uh, we have a three-year-old that is not sleeping through the night. What to do? Okay, so here's another. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds like me. Um, what to do? Okay, so for your three-year-old, I would deworm them because definitely um, little pinworm infestations. You are oh me. yes, I know everybody has that response. Um, you mean it's as easy as deworm? Well, it can starts. be. It can be. That's can your starting be. point because it's an it's an organic issue. It can be sorted out with a pill. So I definitely would start with that. And you know, if your child is crapping in the garden and playing in a sandpit, mm. they've probably got pinworms at some point. And so from one years old onwards, we recommend deworming. So that would be the first thing. Second thing, I would make sure that they're nutritionally sound which means good iron in their diet, good protein in their diet, nice healthy fats in their diet, and nice solid food and not an over-reliance on milk. Mm. The third thing would be looking at nightmares because our three-year-olds have nightmares now because they've got this active imagination. They've learned about dinosaurs and... The and they moon. see them. <laughs> exactly. And they see them at night. And particularly if you're not watching what they're watching on TV, mm. it could be scary. And so nightmares, I would be leaving on a nightlight and then also responding with empathy if they do wake in the night with, with, a, night, with a nightmare. Um, but definitely the number one thing for three-year-olds, just like it is for six-month-olds, is to make sure that how they fall asleep is how you want them to sleep in the night. So right. if they're falling asleep in your bed and then you're moving them across to their own bed mm. when you go to bed, they're going to wake up and go, hold on. Where's that warm body that was next to me just now? And so they'll be calling Let for me. Let me go back. Exactly. Or where's my milkies now? Or whatever it is. So definitely what you want in the middle of the night, start off with that in the evening as well. Here's, an, here's one on children in, in the bed. They, mm. They're not sure when to take them out. So baby started sleeping in the bed. And when, when's the right time to take them out? Yeah, this is one of those parenting contentious issues. And the reason is that I don't think that little babies should be in mm. a mom's bed just because of the SIDS risk. There yeah. is a risk of cot death. With um, So have a, your baby right next to you, but in a slightly separate sleep space mm. um, early on when you're breastfeeding. For your older child, weirdly, from one year onwards, there's no risk of SIDS. So co-sleeping with an older child is actually not an issue. It's not going to um, happen in my house. But exactly. <laughs> Ilana, you and I, I never, no. yeah, I sleep too lightly. Oh. No. Yeah. So when, for me, when they do climb in, I don't sleep. I yeah, don't at exactly. all. Exactly. I'm exactly the same. So we never had kids in our beds. Mm-hmm. But let's say this mum started off and she's still got her baby in her bed at four or six months. Mm-hmm. I would say if you move your baby into their own cot by four months, it'll be they'll be none the wiser because they don't have long term memory. From four months onwards, they might actually notice that you've moved them, mm-hmm. but it'll be a couple of nights of of you know unsettledness, nothing major. So I would say anything from four months to eight months, if your baby has been in your bed and you are comfortable with that risk then um, start moving them into their own little sleep space. 
What is the easiest food to feed baby first? Mm, so the easiest is anything that is mushy and, and doesn't have high texture, which can be absolutely anything because we've got wonderful things like baby bullets that can make anything smooth. But what is the best is really the question. And that, you know, for many years, and this changes, you know, with, with parenting trends, for many years, everyone said it must be rice cereal. I grew up, my, my son right. was weaned onto rice cereal. Rice cereal yeah. We now understand that highly processed carbohydrates are not the best food because they're nothing like breast milk. I mean, breast milk has got lots of protein and fats in it. And highly processed carbohydrates have got nothing, nothing of in that. it. <laughs> exactly. It's just carbs. So we kind of up in their whole digestive system by transferring them onto something that doesn't even look like milk. And so we, um, Kath McGaw and I, who wrote Weaning Sense with me, we now talk about smooth veggies. So any of your veggies, they can be starchy veggies like potatoes or, or sweet potatoes. They can be green veggies, any veggies. Um, and that, that would be my first choice. And then going on to homemade porridges. So make your own porridge. I'm getting hungry. I'm, I'm listening to you speak about food. Speaking of, what's what's your favorite, and this is a question for myself, what's what's one of your favorite recipes to make for, for let's say, a toddler or a small baby? Yeah, so I do love making hummus. Um, and hummus you make? Your own hummus. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> so, sounds so, delicious. It's so easy as well. There is there is a recipe in Weaning Sense for it. Right. So you just basically take a tin of chickpeas, rinse it off, pop the chickpeas into the baby bullet, add some oil, and we like to use coconut oil, but right. you can actually use olive oil or anything. Put some lemon in, and then if you want to, you can put a little bit of garlic as well, because we know that some babies love strong flavors. Yes. And that's it. So that probably would be a very easy, and that is so nutritious. You know, we want our babies to eat chickpeas and legumes um, because they're wonderfully full of proteins. Um, so that would be one of my favorites to be made in the baby bullet. And I would smear it onto some homemade bread, because I love our, re our bread recipe. No, but your bread recipe, I must tell you, people rave about no, it. it's the best thing in the yeah. whole world. I mean... <laughs> When I discovered that recipe and my family nagged me, so on a Sunday evening, I'll often think, I'm, you know, I'm such a good domesticated mother. <laughs> I'll make this, this loaf of bread for the week. I come downstairs at 10 o'clock. It's finished. It's gone. Yeah. They've all smelled You should it. make more than one bread. <laughs> yeah. Here's another one. And I think this is just a general question from, from me. There's so many pressures out there in terms of being a mom or being a new mom. You've you've done it and you're still doing it. You've got you've got children in the home, you've got children who are out of home. Um you you're writing for moms and dads and and people who are, are reading your amazing books. And thank you for your let's call it a contribution in our lives, you know. What do you want to say to us that that kind of makes it okay? I think very importantly, be kind to yourself. I think they, we, we're not kind to ourselves. We're not kind to our children with our expectations. And we're really not kind to other mums. And um, I think that the, the mothering space is a space for me where I, I had a lot of anxiety around being a mom. And um, so for somebody to feel criticized by somebody or to feel that I'm not meeting my expectations or somebody else's expectations was crippling for me. And I think that, you know, we talk about the mummy wars where mums are so critical of each other. And I, th I think my biggest piece of advice would be to embrace other mums and to tell them that they're doing a great job. They might not be doing it like you did, mm. but they're still doing a great job. And that would be, yeah, that would be my message. Well, that is a message from Meg Bora. You're doing a great job. And thank you for doing a phenomenal job in helping all of us. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Alana. We look forward to your amazing projects. Thank you. Baby Brunch is made just for you by Bright Rock. Becoming a parent changes everything. From your sleep schedule to your finances. That's why Brightrock's Needs Match Life Insurance lets you precisely craft a solution to cover your specific needs. From protecting your income to covering your debts and your child's future. Because you pay just for the cover you need, 
you can get up to 40% more cover. So get the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Go to brightrock.co.za. Brightrock Life is an authorized financial services provider and registered insurer. Terms and conditions apply.